0: You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast.
1: A safe space for Deadly Uncle conversations. Alright everybody, I hope you're ready for another episode of the Deadly Uncle Podcast. Today we've got Russ Nehiel.
0: A man who says he's from many different places, has many different relations. He creates a lot of different programs in the community. He does drum groups. Really cultural, appropriate, and he knows his language fluently and is learning every day. That's what he told us his motto is, is he's always learning
2: more about his culture and willing to teach people in the community. I usually warn people before I introduce myself, because around here people are usually from one or two places. So they're either Blackfoot or Cree or Satana. Uh, but I'm from all over the place. So, uh, yeah. Tanse newehu in Wabistim, Hadi. So, it's hello in two of my languages Dakash uh, Carrier and Nihia Cree. Cree. My dad's dad comes from a small carrier reserve near Prince George, mid British Columbia, called Kletle Tene. Uh, then, my dad's mom, one of my Nokums, um, her family comes from Matafiku, Nihia, uh, Cree First Nation in Saskatchewan. And then my other Nokum, my mom's mum was Nihia from northern Alberta. Her family name was Ghost Keeper. And then my other uh, part of my family, my mom's dad was Irish in the region. So and then as I'm sure you all do, I like to acknowledge the territory we are we're on, Blackfoot Confederacy Treaty Seven. So must see. Thank
0: you. So where did you end up uh, being from? You know, like having so many different, uh, you know, uh, tribes and stuff. Where where did you end up growing up?
2: Uh, all over the place. Um, okay. So I, I come from a family of addictions on both sides, and I think with with anyone who's kind of had that in their um, along their path, things are pretty. Chaotic at times. Uh, so after my dad passed at a young age, my mom moved us to Penticton. I went back to Prince George for a little bit and then back to Penticton, in Summerland, Kelowna, Penticton, Whitehorse, Windsor, Ontario, and then back to Penticton. So that was just all K to 12. Yeah, so yeah the the first part of my life was in prince george and um i usually tell people i was a bush baby just because (laughs) yeah i was either in the house doing chores or getting whooped so it was a easy uh decision to when my mom said go out and find something to do yeah so (laughs) spending a lot of time outdoors pretty much all day you had berries and and lots of stuff so um yeah so that that's kind of one of the things that really influence is the work that i've done and that i do Mm -hmm. um all of those things like i quit banking when i was 19 i've never done drugs uh smoked a bit when i was a kid thankfully that didn't take um those are all things that kind of have influenced me to try and do the stuff that i do because i can understand from a lot of different angles of loss and Colonization, the effects.
1: Yeah. How would you describe the work that you do, Russ? Because I'm not familiar with what you do. So, for the people out there who don't know, can you describe it for all of us?
2: Okay. Uh, so, I've worked for about 26 years on and off reserve, mainly with youth. Um, but whenever that happens, inevitably you're going to work with their family too in, in some form. Um, worked for lots of nonprofits a couple school districts, um, Catholic school district here for about three and a half years, the Surrey School District for about three and a half years as an Indigenous um, community liaison. Um, And then the nonprofits I've worked for, one would be um, Four Directions, the Native Native Foster Parent Association, um, Boys and Girls Club, um, yeah, just a lot of different agencies. So a lot of my work has been around reconnecting families, and again, especially youth to our culture, traditions, ceremony, um, protocols, things along those lines. Um, And then I guess in the last 10 years, more specifically, around uh, intergenerational trauma and brain development, working with clinicians at health services, um, creating programming um, and every basis of the, the things that I do, even for the teams that I've worked with, is asking them to go to ceremony together and to go onto the land together. Because I think when you're in those spaces individually, you can't really hide from yourself. So if there are things that you struggle with, that's a time that those things most likely will come out. And that i think should come out um yeah because i think it's hard to face what uh what's happened in our lives but i think once you do it you take those hard steps healing starts and uh yeah
1: that's awesome no that's wicked that's awesome in the uh in the programming that you do have you have you come across or been involved in any all men's programming like healing for men only. That's kind of what we're trying to create a, uh, a conversation (laughs) about here, right? Because we see all this, um, all the healing that's being done with indigenous women in our communities. And we, we feel that we need to open that conversation up, find these, these programs, if they exist, or maybe spark an interest for people to create them. So we have safe spaces for our indigenous men.
2: Yeah. Um, I guess the most notable would have been at hall services through bringing the sweet grass. Um, And I mean, I I think I've tried to encourage and create spaces again in working with families um, to connect with with people who are like-minded or struggling with some of the same things in connection with ceremony again. Um, But in... um, Home services I did put together a men's group and it was a very slow uptake just due to people's schedules, people having to work, uh, things along those lines. So it went for about a year um, and it never really flourished uh, until we brought ceremony into it. And, um, uh, Gets Crazy Boy, he was one of the people that kind of helped initiate that, too. um, Because I had to step away from from that. And I was actually not really working with Hall anymore. Uh, But I still wanted to continue with that men's group. And once ceremony got involved, things became more consistent. Like, numbers weren't huge, but it was just, again, proof that um, when you involve spirit and things, so yeah, and then just even within my own family, I'm kind of the go-to for like cultural knowledge and ceremony and stuff. And I'm not an elder. I'm people consider me a knowledge keeper. I'm hesitant to say that. Um, but, yeah, and everything i I share and I say, I will refer to the elder that I learned those things from even elders themselves say these aren't my teachings these are things that were passed to me mm-hmm. um so I yeah try and be transparent and and also uh it's like quality control so I when I give presentations I'll say the elder's name and I say if this doesn't feel right to you you can go to that elder and that elder will come to me and say hey Russ <laughs> It's
1: almost like you're shouting out the elders hey eh? yeah yeah. I'll give a you're, shout
2: out- <laughs> yeah you're you're messing up Russ you gotta go <laughs> so, um, yeah so those those are kind of some of the instances of things that I've done in the past and then just recently um, a friend who worked for uh, I think it's McMahon James House asked if I would come in and work with their their men so I just started that program um, last week and it's going pretty good so far after the last
0: that's wonderful so that program um, is directly for that uh, program that's happening, that the men's group is happening for the program that's, that, that's involved. And so how can men um, get involved in that program?
2: Uh, I think for that one, it's closed just to the participants in that building, just for logistical reasons. Um, but even with the other group that um, I was helping out with at Hall Services, like whenever I work, I, I'm always honored and humbled to be asked to do anything. Um, one of the elders I work with, Casey Eagle Speaker, I've worked with him for years. When he gives presentations, he says all that I know in the universe is this much, and if you talk to that man, he can rattle off for hours on on goodies and stuff. Um, but I say, well, if that's the case, I don't know how to push my fingers through themselves into the negative with what I know. Um, so I tell these people, these groups, that even if I wasn't presenting or, or helping facilitate, you should keep going. Like you might not know all the ins and outs of this group, but generally we all know what we need as, as people when we're hurting. Sometimes we might be confused about how to, to get the things but generally we, we all need the same thing to feel connected, um, to be able to contribute, to feel valued, um, included in all those things. So I try and instill those to people. So if, yeah, nothing's stopping anybody from just creating a group of friends, like even your family members, taking time to just talk with one another. Um, and it's not easy, like these things, and I'm sure you, you fellows have experienced it as men um our roles have really changed our rites of passage have been destroyed to a degree um but we're at a place now where there's nothing stopping us from regaining things it's just a matter of taking those hard steps and uh, kind of doing it so i don't know if that answered your question
0: (laughs) no yeah no it's it's definitely you know i think it's important because even if even just us as men that are not knowledge keepers, you know. Getting in, in into a group uh, and telling your stories, I think that men can find answers um, with each other's testimonies and hearing about each other's you know journeys and stuff, and just having a safe space for Indigenous men to um, you know express themselves. I think is really important because there definitely is a lack of. Um, programming and 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 things that are happening for our men and you know it's it's nice to see it would be nice to see see like a a men's group that was like online put online and there is actually one um in uh in Edmonton here yeah Bent Arrow um you have to go Mm -hmm. through them and kind of join up with them but it's like an online thing but you know uh, they said they started off with small numbers because I guess you know just like all of us men it's like how do we get a bunch of men in the same room to talk and you know I think you know one of the ways is uh, like you said spirituality and then also what I've heard is that is working in some communities is the drum Um, putting the drum there and putting songs there and uh, teaching men, you know, that they have a voice with singing, and they can they can use these drums. And I know that you also uh, throw on programs where you where you uh, facilitate making drums. Can you talk to us about that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm gonna preface a bit of my memory <clears throat> with I've been in a car accident in uh, 2019, and I got a pretty bad concussion. It was my third concussion. Um, so that, on a mental health note, um, was very difficult, still is to a degree, but my memory um, isn't as good as it was. So the first person who taught me how to make drums was the um, Métis Calgary Family Services in 2001. Um, and her name was Anne. She was a Cree Elder with the agency. She's since passed on. Um, but then again, through that, uh, Casey is another person through Health Services, who I gained some guidance through. I've been doing drum making since 2001. Um, but yeah, whenever an elder or somebody else is involved, I really try and try and learn more. Um, so those are two people in particular. Um, yeah. So whenever I'm asked to do drum making or include the drum in in sessions, um, it, Teach traditional games as well, like hand games or stick games, however you call it, depending on your territory. Um, I always try and go through um, some teachings and and things about the drum itself. So everything I make, um, as much as possible, I try and get from the land. And it's a little tougher to um, kind of break down down trees and stuff and make hoops by scratch. So, I usually get them outsourced by different um, indigenous uh, organizations or, or groups. Um, but for my drumsticks, um, I go and harvest red willow or uh, diamond willow, the way I've been taught by um, Curtis Gladue, a Cree person from up north, um, taught me how to make drumsticks. So, when I'm sharing about all the materials that are that are used in the process. I always share that at one point these things had life, they had a spirit, Um, they had a reason for existing. And when we take those lives, um, we're supposed to offer tobacco or offer tobacco that we have those things in our presence to show that we value them. Um, And like anything in nature, when we go to harvest is to always offer that, that medicine, that tobacco to show those things have worth. And it's not the best analogy, but um, when you go into a story, you just can't grab something and walk out. You got to exchange money because that thing has value. So I think it's easy to go and do things and not do that that piece. But eventually, these things we use won't have meaning. And that's kind of a fear. And especially, I, I try not to teach non-Indigenous people how to make drums. Um, And if, and I check with elders first, Um, you know, this group wants me to come in. Um, They're like, well, why do they want them? And that's the question I ask. And then going through that process, okay. If it's something around healing, if you do have an indigenous person in that agency or in that group that can help guide you, then yeah, I've said no at times as well. And uh, yeah, so I think the spirit of those, those pieces just comes through when when you share songs and um as well just from various elders saying that when we sing those songs that that's the the language that nature and and animals um hear us so when we speak english it doesn't get through to nature the way when we're singing our traditional songs and stuff that connects us in those ways so
0: no, that totally makes sense. I guess, like, especially when you, you think about our our language and, and some words, they don't translate to English. And, and so there's a connection, a different connection there. So with your work, um, why, why is it important to you as an individual to do this work? Why is it important for you to work in the community and share this uh, this uh, this work that you do?
2: uh it's hard hard not to get emotional when certain questions are asked or, or things are thought of uh but my my usual response is is that um, i don't have a choice i'm not allowed to not put in work and to not try and move the needle a bit where our, our families our communities are exposed again or are gifted back like teachings that weren't meant to be given uninterrupted. And the reason I say that is because three, my three indigenous grandparents went to residential school and for what my mom's mom, my nokam on that side in particular went through, um, she spoke me when we were young, she did beautiful beadwork, she cooked um, traditional foods like I was raised on mainly. Like wild meat, moose, elk, deer, salmon. Some kids aren't happy with me this next part, but rabbit usually <laughs> say they're they're beautiful and delicious. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so all the stuff my, my nocom went through and the, the effect it had on my aunts and uncles, how she would hurt them, and then how I was disciplined and, and abused. Um, yeah, I, I don't think as indigenous people, we have the right to, to not put in the work and to not try and heal ourselves and then help our families heal. Cause if my Nopam was here right now, every time I make fry bread, she's right behind me. And if I do <laughs> something, I feel a bannock slap, I'm like, okay,
0: mm-hmm. too, much,
2: too much baking powder that time. Oh, I you. Gotcha, I got gotcha. you.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I just try and honor, honor her, my ancestors, and and those who really went through the hard stuff. Like we're dealing with ramifications, but they're the ones that were yeah really um, treated poorly. So
0: no, it's it's totally I totally get you on that point, and I think that's why you know at a lot of our events that are done correctly, we always you know respect our elders first because without their survival, without our grandfathers and grandmothers survival, none of us would be here for sure. Mm -hmm. So it's always important to show that respect and, you know, do that, uh, you know, do that work, put in that protocol and know that, um, so I just wanted to ask you, do you, uh, is there any place in Calgary within the city limits that you know of, um, that. There, You can have sweats and ceremonies and, uh, you know, a place to pray um, that's like within the city limits of Calgary, not outside of Calgary, but just anywhere
1: inside the city. Is there any place that uh, Indigenous people have to
0: to pray or have ceremony?
2: Not yet. I don't know if that's a lead-in, but... Yeah, that Indigenous gathering place, I think that's being discussed. I think that's yeah. hopefully going to be, like, one of the first places, and uh, yeah, like, what a huge um, step that should have been taken years ago. And, I mean, I, I can't, I'm not blaming anyone, Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's about time, yeah, but none that I know of. Yeah,
0: yeah. like, I, I just think that even us as Indigenous people, we've been talking about this, and it's part of our mentality as well. Um, we're still healing as a community, and we're still um, learning that uh, we have. It's okay to be proud of who we are. It's okay to be proud of our our ceremonies and 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 celebrate those things in a in a respectful way, though too as well. Um, and and to have those 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 things available inside of our cities instead of having the mentality of we must go out to the land because those options aren't open to everybody, yeah. you know. So I think it's it's hugely important. And when you look around Canada, I'm starting to do a documentary, and I'm just starting to film, you know, all the churches and uh, mosques and different places that non-Indigenous people have to pray that are safe spaces for them yeah. uh, and uh, you know I think it's time for every major city to have this space that's not a treatment center that's for open for the public but also you know there's a lot of work it's easy to say this <laughs> but there's a lot of work in in involved in that and I don't know know how they're how it's going to be all done but I'm really happy to see how strong the next generation is and and the empathy they have towards, you know, making this this happen for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, you work as well in, in child and family services a lot as well, right? Yeah, I think
2: um, anytime you do work with youth, in particular, and children. Yeah. Uh, even in the school system, I worked with social workers and um, and then with. Um, four directions that was directly with social workers kids and care and i'm actually just applied to um six that got to work with their children and family so i'm hoping to get on with them
1: that, that was kind of that was kind of a lead in to my question um what we were talking about with other people was like after care for people when say when they come out of treatment when they come out of the prison system when they come out of the foster care system you know like we we introduce a lot of these people that's a lot of our healing processes to reintroduce our our people to their culture and then once they've been introduced to it they don't have that outlet and that's what we're we're really talking about i think is once you once you start that healing process how do you continue it and how do you ensure that you can surround yourself with other people that can help you stay on that straight path right like that's I know the, that's not really a question, but it's just an observation that, that we said. And I guess I did want to know is in your experience in the foster care system, have you seen that? Because my parents have been foster parents for like over 30 years now. They started with Four Directions in Calgary in, in the early 90s, actually. Oh, wow. And then they, uh, they have children in the Red Deer area for the last 20 years. But I've noticed that myself as just somebody that have seen kids go through the system is that. Once they turn 18, like, some of them get just sent out to the street, right? Like, th- there's there's no guidance for them, no aftercare. And uh, have you seen, like, in your experience, have you seen that too? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, as well with the Boys and Girls Club, I worked at a group home um, initially just because I wanted to help needed some extra cash so I did it part-time because I was also had a a full-time job at at the same time Um, but I stayed for like 10 months just because in that three months I saw like two staff turnovers and then the 10 months I saw so in working in these systems and then more directly to the foster parent association I was a part of The whole basis of that system, and I'm sure you guys already know and have probably discussed this, is just a pipeline that grew out of the knowledge that um, residential schools were starting to shut down, not bear the fruits that um, a colonial government and, and churches were trying to accomplish, but they still wanted a way to destroy indigenous family and community um so this was years ago where i worked with this foster parent association um probably 20 2011 or 2010 something like that um we were invited to a meeting of all the social workers in i think in calgary alberta um and the head individual for this province literally said didn't try and sugarcoat it we're doing a shit job when it comes to working with indigenous community and he laid out the things that we have been saying for forever and he said at the same time this is how we're instructed to work so we just urged the social workers in that setting to try and be more mindful of those actions so it was encouraging in a way but it was infuriating because he was basically saying what we all know he's saying that the government is okay in this and that it's not going to change so the little glimmer that i had was like oh wow some truth and there's the other truth nothing's going to change And then you fast forward to um, a couple years ago. I think it was Cindy Blackstock um, and Pam Palmater. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. um, Had some video clips in that, and Cindy uh, mentioned that there how many millions of dollars that the Canadian government has put up to fight for Indigenous children and youth to get the same care and quality of life that other kids get from on reserve, off reserve, um, the amount less on per student on reserve that is given thousands less per student. Um, and that all the while the facts that she gained were actually from the government themselves. It's their notes and their documents saying that their legislation is racist that they're purely doing it because it's Indigenous youth and children. So I kind of use that as a, a basis for what I'm about to say, a little long-winded. Um, is that when we have those those symptoms and those actions of the government saying, okay, we're going to rip you out. And if it's not a good home, totally understandable to separate the individuals. but now it's becoming more mainstream that kinship care is being um focused on which is how it should have been the whole time but then you have cookums and mushrooms or older people taking care of their younger grandchildren and not getting the same money that they would get if they weren't the kids weren't going into a home without biological family so again there's another thing okay your family you should be able to get old. hold of you know deal with it yeah well no like there's still kids that need all these same things why would you give less so things along those lines so when people age out i think there is more um more emphasis being given now on uh youth aging out and more supports i think it goes up to like 24 or something now but again
1: yeah, they can sign a SAFA agreement, and if they're going to school or if they get a job, they can get a certain amount of. I, I used to be a housing outreach worker, so okay, it's yeah. a little bit as well. So yeah, like I I know there are there are supports for them, but a lot of people don't know that, and a lot of people yeah. don't make an effort, especially with Indigenous kids, to let them know what. Yeah. They- what they can you know get help with when they're starting out and i think that's an important thing that we all have to you know make known especially to our young indigenous men that come up through care is there is some kind of support for you after you age out mm-hmm.
0: and it's just yeah there's got to be more uh promotion with it when they get out for sure because even with us when we're living in edmonton we never knew about the there was two men's programs that were going on one on tuesday one on Thursday we had no idea you know so a lot i think that's what's happening in a lot of these situations where you know programs are not working is there is is we got to figure out a way is how to how to promote them properly to our 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 men in our community and how do
1: you promote them to people that are living on the street the people who need it the most yeah. like how do you get the word out to them that yeah there's an open group that you can come to on thursday nights if it's cold or whatever you just want to talk but how do we do that? That's the problem, the key. How do you communicate them and how do you direct them to services? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
0: Definitely, definitely a lot of
1: uh Well we're coming up with a lot of questions, questions here, yeah. but not a lot of answers.
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh you know that's 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 why, you know, this is uh this creates a space
1: to for those questions well, yeah. to be asked, it's, it's a hard conversation, right? Like, yeah. And if you don't talk about it, nothing ever changes, right? So,
2: yeah. and I would say some of the solutions to those things are just people being more active and more more giving of their time and energy. And like I, I like I said, I don't have the right not to learn about my culture and the stuff that was taken from my grandparents. Um, but again, we just need, and people do it. We need those grassroots people to say, I've had enough, there's a need, I can give this much, and then connect with other people. So, whenever I give presentations and stuff, especially to Muneals, um, I tell them that, you know, if you just came here to extract and to gain a bit of knowledge for your own whatever, that's what it is. But I would rather you not be here. If you've come to learn and to share it, and to try and make some action that will help indigenous people or people of color, minorities, then I feel much better in sharing these things because a lot of people see our culture and, and our, our arts and crafts. I know I've got some artists over there on that end. Um, it's, it's great to see beauty in things, but to not know that there's deeper things attached to them or that you can even take part. So I usually ask people to volunteer at indigenous agencies because there's always volunteers needed. And then they'll really learn what our community looks like and how beautiful it is and how much um, effort that we put forward us lazy Indians.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd
2: like, I'd like you to meet some people who work in nonprofit and then try and say this.
0: Exactly.
2: For a long, for a long time, I get positions after nonprofit ones, and being like, "Oh yeah," and I clean toilets, and I, and people are like, "Yeah, we got a janitor for that." Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's how ingrained nonprofit was. So like, okay, I'll do five different things. yeah Oh yeah,
0: totally. Even us as artists, you know, we are working around the clock, as as mm-hmm. always. You know, it's. It's a part of, they say we work, uh, you work 180 hours a week to not work 40 for someone
1: else. you <laughs> not what it is.
0: Double time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I get to do it at the comfort of my own computer desk. There.
0: Yeah, exactly. There you go. Exactly. No, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, you know, for, for being on here. And uh, I really, really, uh, I can't wait to see what the next generation holds. And, you know, I think that, um, as you said, it's, it's important for us to heal ourselves first as, as individuals and to, you know, and I can tell by, you know, you're a very, uh, humble person that doesn't want to take a lot of attributes and that, but I commend you for the work that you're doing. Mm. And I know that you got a, uh, a Changemakers Award as well, mm-hmm. so congratulations on that. And it just goes to show that your work is important, is really important, and uh, you're a very important person in the community, and uh, you are a deadly
2: uncle. Tell <laughs> so- tell the
1: <laughs> <laughs> aunties, a uncle. <laughs>
0: That's right, and he makes good fry bread. So that's come what out. I heard. Yeah. So there you
1: go. All right, man. Thank you so much for thank your you, time. Thank you, brother. Awesome.
2: See.
0: Hi. Hi. Okay.
1: Message from a deadly uncle oh awesome mr alec carton we just connected hey on Facebook.
0: that's awesome we just had him as our last final guess. guest yes. of
1: season one
0: want to send a big shout out to all of our guests throughout you know this time that we've done we've done 20 episodes for season one we're very excited yeah. to you know have this completed as a project. You know, this started off as, you know, just something to bring, you know, forward for our men uh, because there was a lack of programming that we've seen. And so it's been a journey.
1: Yeah, I think, like, for myself, when we got this started, it had a lot to do with what I saw I needed as well because, you know, I've been pretty transparent before and said I suffer from anxiety and depression and I was medicated for it for a long time and I haven't been in the last 6 months and I think it was important for me to hear other people's stories as well to to keep myself strong when I'm doing my own things right so it was it was a healing experience and I think everybody that takes the time to listen to the whole podcast will come away with a feeling of Of hope I think you know of hope for the future of indigenous men and for the healing of our people overall
0: no I definitely agree and uh, you know every time that we did this you know these episodes I come away with a a sense of feeling lighter a sense of feeling healed almost like when you come out of like a gathering of some sorts that was positive all the way around without the alcohol and without the the craziness or yeah. any of those things you know and um i definitely feel the same like i because myself too i you know i deal with anxiety i deal with all the all the things that many of us deal with you know in silence you know and that's kind of what this is, is is especially for indigenous men or just men in general, is to break the silence, you know, is to, you know, speak about, you know, how you really feel. Because we've always been taught to hold that hold those feelings in, be tough, be don't the strong,
1: cry. silent type yeah. and actually don't cry. That was something that I got from my Kokum all the time. Yeah. Be a yeah. tough Indian. Don't cry. Don't ever let them see you cry. Yeah, yeah. Don't cry. Get up. You know, and then... And you know where that comes from. That comes from residential school because they didn't ever want, you know, the nuns or the priests or the other kids to see them cry. You know, you always had to have this kind of aura of strength, even if it's like a force field or whatever, but it's it's something that developed in a lot of our people.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely... um... You know, it's it's crazy to look back and, and think about how strong our ancestors were to even survive so that we can be here. And, you know, I think that that's part of what this is, too, is getting some of these stories, you know, from our Indigenous men right now, you yeah. know, all the way, you know, from 1980 to... 2023 we have stories from men that are living in this generation boys that have you know grown up in today's time and you know we have all the access in the world to the internet to answers from google yeah <laughs> you know that uh you know we're still from the uh generation where we didn't have that until a later age but it's really nice to see, you know, how different, you know, this generation and even the generation after them is, you know, having yeah. uh, Daryl on here, you know, who's, you know, 23 years old and, you know, is right in the middle of, you know, moving forward with uh, technology and apps and connecting communities. So it's really been a, a, a a learning experience a humbling learning experience that makes me want to be a better person you know makes me want to uh, strive to be better in all ways
1: yeah uh, I think that um, a lot of our guests brought they brought their struggles with them and they they opened themselves up to vulnerability and to showing people that you know it's okay not to be okay and it does take a community to raise children and to make a successful community anywhere you are. And like, we were lucky enough to have strong father figures in our lives, Mm -hmm. but a lot of our guests and a lot of indigenous men in our communities grow up without male role models. Their dads are in the struggle. They are, you know, still suffering from intergenerational trauma and they're not there And a lot of those kids had to learn how to become men through community, through, you know, through other people that took them under their wing, but they've found ways to become men and to become successful and to give back to the community in the process. And that's what a lot of, I think, I think that's the general characteristics that a lot of our guests carry with them is this, this journey of, you know, like most indigenous people coming from nothing, coming from trauma, coming from you know sexual abuse, coming from all these different things, but being able to sift through all that, to move all that aside and to find a clear path for themselves and to be successful contributing members of their community. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a beautiful thing to witness, and it's it should give many indigenous boys maybe the role models they don't have at home. And maybe that's, if that helps one kid, then maybe that's good enough, you know?
0: I definitely agree, you know. I 100% agree with that. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's just unbelievable, um, the stories that we've had, the, um, you know, people that have expressed, you know, their lives and their their struggles and their triumphs on here. You know, mm-hmm. and being honest about that, and I think that that's what's special about that and when you talk about you know not having a father um in the in the house, we give a shout out to our women, yeah because this is uh this is a men's podcast, but without our women, without the strength of our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunties, our sisters um none of us would be here. And that's the honest truth. Um, and sometimes our mothers, in those situations, like you said, us, we were lucky to have a a father figure. But in a lot of the lot of those times, the mother has to be the father as well. For a lot of our guests here, yeah. and you know that comes from, you know, the struggles of you know, whatever they went through in their lives, you know. And I think a lot of it has to do, of course, uh, is with being taken, you know, from your home as a child. Because we think about the, you know, how many times have we heard, well, I got, I went to the residential school, you know, and we're getting used to that. But what was the real process in that? I want to know, like, how did they get from their front door physically um, to the church's front door to the uh the residential schools front door, you know, and thinking about those things. And even my mom, you know, she was very, uh, um, loving and, and very hugging, but, you know, her first nine months going into the residential school, she never knew how to hug after that. You know, she would literally go stiff as a board, Yeah, you know, with her arms out like this. And, uh, well it's hard you to know.
1: feel when you're institutionalized and that's like that's what we have to accept is that our parents and our grandparents were prisoners. Yeah. You know, and they were they were put there and they had to endure these things. And then we have to be able to forgive. Like that's the thing I think we learn the most here is the power of forgiveness because each and every one of our guests had trauma in their past. Well, I don't know if all of them did, but you know that's a common thread to yep. most of our our things. And you know they struggled. Their parents struggled, but they were able to somehow forgive their parents because they were able to see that a lot of the things that happened happened because of residential school. Mm-hmm. Happened because of the 60s scoop. Happened because. Of institutionalized racism in the colonial structure in Canada. And I mean, they didn't think of it that way, maybe, but those are all the key terms that we have to remember that dictated the lives of our ancestors for Mm -hmm. ever since contact. Yeah. So just us being able to sit here and talk about this, this is freeing. Yeah. You know, it's like lifting a weight off your off your chest because there's nothing better than the feeling of being free. Your you know, one
0: hundred percent, you know, and that's why you know, when I start out any engagement when I play an honor song, I always say thank you to the elders because without your grandfather's story, without your grandmother's yeah. story, none of us would be here Thats right. <laughs> you know, so it's really important to uh remember that and remember that our parents are not survivors. Our grandparents are not survivors, they're thrivers because they made things happen. You know, I'm 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 just in awe of what my mom made happen with her her life, like, you know, coming from what she came from and same thing with my father as well, you know, um coming from where they came from to to be able to move away from family, you know, sacrificing for their children because it was really us that they were thinking about when they moved here you know my mom walked to work in minus 35 weather for six months so she could save the little bit of change that she had so we could move you know and uh you know uh sacrifice just the 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 what what our ancestors and what our parents gave is is unimaginable um they had a completely different time and the ones before them had a completely different time my My grandfather was known as you know one of the best grave diggers, you know uh, on the reserve. and when the um, the Spanish flu had co- come in, um, he was using wor- wheelbarrows with bodies full in there. and yeah, you know so it goes back from having that type of strength to our parents. And now to us.
1: And like you, know? you said, thrivers too. Like we, we were confined to a system where if you were a farmer, you had to go ask permission to sell your grain and you had to sell it at a rate that they decided was fair. If you did anything, if you wanted to leave the reserve, yeah, you needed a pass. My grandfather was a lot of things. Like he used to do a lot of, now I know why where I get my spirit of doing a hundred different little jobs. Like he did so many different things and he would go around the system. He wouldn't go to the Indian agent. He would trade his grain with white farmers for things that they needed for flour or whatever else. So he didn't have to go and do that. He sold, he was a bootlegger. He did everything he needed mm. to do to feed his 10 kids yeah. at that time. And we got to remember that we don't come from, you know pretty past like pretty history like yeah the history hasn't been very nice to us and for our ancestors to make it a lot of them had to do things that you know they probably wouldn't have yeah but you know you have to survive Mm -hmm. and you you have to realize that everything your parents and their parents did were for us now like it trickles down man they're always thinking about the next generation of people that's how our people think Mm -hmm. you know so yeah. Take what you have and the opportunities that you're given and make the best of them if you can. So if there is a program out there that you think you might be a good fit for, take a chance. Say yes. Go talk to somebody. Like our one guest said, the you know, the the turning the key for I almost swore there. The turning the key method, you know, you, you open that door and then it opens the door to everything. And that mm-hmm. that was a profound statement to me because that's what I've noticed. Over the last few years is when you make those steps to change other things just happen and like it starts a mini avalanche almost of where you're meant to go
0: yeah i think that it's a it's almost a um a buffalo teaching i would say you know because buffaloes move forward no matter what yeah um and, you know, even to their own demise. <laughs> so you got to be careful when you're moving forward. Uh, yeah. But no, no, the, uh, the point is, is that you have to make things happen. You have to reach out. You have to first put that key in the lock, you know. And a lot of us, you know, as people um, struggle to get that key in the lock. Um, that's half the battle. And once you do that, I think it's all these things open up and things start happening. And you know, you're you're definitely an an example of that in the last two years. And um, it's been inspiring to see you know and and see you go travel around and do, do his thing. You know and and that's what we do as 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 artists is move forward, make things happen. Um, and I'm just excited to see what the future has for our indigenous men, for our indigenous women and the community. Yeah. Um, because without the community, we wouldn't uh, be as strong as we are. And its I honestly believe it's not about our political leaders or any of those things. I think it's the people of the country It's make community. it what it
1: is. It's grassroots. You know? It's The only way we make change is if we make change together. Yeah. You know what I mean it's it can't be one chief that goes to talk to Ottawa you know you remember I don't know more remember the strength yeah. in a grassroots movement like we need to make those changes for ourselves you're correct and it's like it's so inspiring to see all the people we interviewed but it's important to tell stories because that's who we are like storytelling is it's like it's like our heartbeat almost, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's how we carry on our culture and that's how we're going to do it in the modern era. You know, we're going to do it on podcasts. We're going to do it on, you know, in music or whatever way we can, but telling our stories now is important for the next generation to see what we're going through now, you know? So it's, I just want to thank each and every one of our guests for, you know, taking that leap of faith in us, knowing that we will, share their story and represent them in a good way.
0: Exactly. And <clears throat> yes, keep telling your story. Um, I encourage all you younger people that are listening to this or older people that still have your grandparents, even if you have an iPhone, get their story on video. Yeah, Ask about their childhood. You know, I, I was lucky enough to get my dad's story in a documentary that I was doing and he passed away about seven months later. So now I have part of that story, part of his story.
1: And your kids have that.
0: And my kids have that. And it's important to get our elders stories, record them. So if you can take one thing away from what I'm saying today is record your elders, tell your story, tell their story. It's important. Get your own podcast, do something. You know, yep. contribute in the best way that you can, you know, to bring community together and shine the light on the positive things that Indigenous people are doing. Because I think we're doing amazing things across the country. Mm-hmm. I'm inspired by so many of the, the youth coming up and their ideas, uh, mixing traditional with with uh, apps and, and just, you know, times are changing. Uh, the youth will definitely be our biggest teachers i think and i think
1: <laughs> we can be deadly enough uncles that we can keep up for a while with yeah. technology you know that's a struggle yeah for when you when you get that generational gap or that generational changeover, right like it's inevitable it happens everywhere you know eventually the next generation has to take over but how do you keep yourself relevant in the yeah. transition right
0: you gotta learn what's up and listen to listen <laughs> to the next ones yeah because they got the ideas you know tony too sick and Daryl uh, Burton Jr., you know, yeah. Bretton Jr., sorry, brother. Zach Willier. Zach Willier and all these young ones. That's why we're, we have them on our podcast. We want to shine light on them, and, you know, they'll give us a job one day.
1: Yeah, and don't <laughs> forget, like I know we're saying, you know, don't forget your elders, though, yeah. too. You know, like it doesn't have to be your grandparents. It can be your uncles, your aunties, the people that helped raise you. Their stories are important because their stories contributed to who you are. And that's something that we all, I think we all need to remember is everybody that influenced us, a piece of them stays with us in, in our path, you know, everybody that we encounter. So there's this, there's this memory, I think that we get and don't quote me on this, but this is my own feeling that when we experience something with somebody, we're taking a piece of their experiences with us. So now we've got, you know, generations of people pushing us in the right direction mm-hmm and the strongest thing you can do, and the most important thing that I've done, is to stop being afraid of the unknown. Because what you don't know could be stopping you from opening so many amazing doors. Just say yes if somebody offers you something. Take a chance. Mm-hmm. Go do it. If it's not gonna cost you know if it's not gonna cost you money or whatever, and it's not gonna ruin your chances of, you know, keeping your job or whatever. Just take a chance. Exactly. You know, if somebody has a play and they want you to, you know, go and try out, go try out. Maybe you're creative and you don't even know it, you know, like because we're all meant to do something more than work a nine to five job. There's, that's what, you know, when people talk about balance in the medicine wheel, that's what we all have to remember is that there's more to life than work. You know, we need, companionship we need all these things to really truly thrive so that's what i took away from this podcast anyways yeah you know what
0: we're gonna leave it there with with you guys and say thank you so much uh for tuning in um we expect this to get bigger and better we want to thank all our partnership we want to thank edmonton arts council yes um for you know helping us and with believing in, the,
1: in believing in you know the need for this kind of this kind of programming because there isn't a lot of programming like this out there and don't get it twisted we don't we don't pretend to be experts on anything we're just here to provide a platform for people to tell their stories to hopefully inspire you to make the changes you need to make to live a better life
0: and if you have an idea do it Do it. Or send it to us and we'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) My mom's starting a new business this year called Cook'em's Kitchen. There you go. She's almost in her seventies. So it's never too late to start something new. Yeah. Here we go.
1: See you next season. You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A
0: safe space for deadly uncle conversations.